and welcome to the second season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Bethann Freed Cohen. Bethann is a nurse who teaches people to be home health aides. She sings with the New York City-based choruses, Essential Voices USA, and the Jewish People's Philharmonic Chorus, which has been singing Yiddish choral repertoire since 1922. Their upcoming concert, Yiddish Flavors of Love, a musical celebration, will be held on Sunday, June 16th at 3 p.m. at Merkin Concert Hall. We're going to talk today about representations of Judaism in musical theater. Hi, Bethann. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So we are going to get started with our get to know our guest questions. So what was your first experience with the musical? So I'm not sure I remember exactly, but the first one that I kind of remember is um, there was a community theater uh, production of The Mikado when I was five that my parents brought me to. And Mm -hmm. my parents are actually still involved with that um, light opera company. I started playing in their pit orchestra when I was in 11th grade and I did, I've done like three or four shows with them. And um, my dad's always on the stage. My mom is always in the pit. My sister and I have been ushers. My sister played trumpet on stage one time. Uh, it's a it's a big part of their lives and our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to see Mikado when I was five. I got to meet the people in the cast afterward, and it was this thing. And then shortly afterward they played it on local access tv oh cool and then there was so i watched that video over and over and then there was a video of um a the doily cart production mm-hmm. uh a few years later and that's actually the production that i watched over and over and over as a kid um and we're going to talk about it later but the production i um i know the best They didn't actually have the Japanese costumes. It's set in like 1920s England, Mm. so everyone's in like little bobs and and uh, maids uniforms. So I thought it did. (laughs) (laughs) I recently saw a video of it, which I hadn't seen in years, Mm -hmm. and there's still some pretty problematic things. I mean, it's a very problematic show. and there's just no way around that but yeah. there's also it's also an amazing show right. so uh you know things are complicated yeah. um but there's you know new attempts to make it uh less problematic it'll never be completely unproblematic i think it's nice that when kids have like a early introduction to gilbert and sullivan like because my sister and i were when we were kids our high school did um pirates of penzance and we were like obsessed with that show for a while and acting out like almost as good and much less problematic (laughs) (laughs) and then my first um my first experience on broadway is also important to me which is for my sixth birthday my grandmother took me to New York City, which was a big deal. Uh, I had been here before, but this was like made as a, a big deal and we saw the original production of Into the Woods. That's amazing. Yeah. 
What older or classic show did you recently see for the first time, and what was your experience with it? So my in-laws wanted to take me to see Phantom, and if they take me to see Phantom, which, you know, is expensive and stuff, I would have to spend the rest of my life pretending that I like Phantom. (laughs) (laughs) So I think he gently passed that along, and so instead we went and saw Wicked. And I, you know, other than hearing a couple of the main songs, um, I hadn't seen it. I had tried to read the book Wicked, and I actually really didn't like it very much. Oh, it's so different, as you and, now know. And now I know. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is like a really amazing, like, story, and, and like, so much better than the book. <laughs> uh, or what of it I read. And... Um, and just a beautiful story and a, and a beautiful, um, and I love the music too. One of the things I love about that show is not that it's just about strong women, but it's about strong women's voices in two different styles. Like you've got the Broadway belter, um, Elphaba, strong voice, but then you also have like the strong, like operatic like type lyric soprano. soprano yeah. Um, yeah, Lyric Soprano, and is just as strong. They're not like, it's not like one's better than the other. Yeah. It's like, these are two ways in which women can sing and be strong. Yeah. It's just like, just another manifestation of like, you know, the strong It it fits the theme of the show. Which writers, both of the past and working today, do you admire most? I love Sondheim, and I really do (laughs) Uh, and everything from do I hear a waltz to you know assassins and everything in between and my dog's named Sweeney I I'm not like someone who knows a lot of the up-and-comers but I like to call myself your number one fan oh thank you what is a musical people might be surprised to find out that you love so I was ribbing you before that I thought that this was maybe a sneaky way of asking what's a guilty pleasure musical. And I see your point that it's not necessarily that. It doesn't have to be guilty pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I actually put for this Hamilton, which obviously isn't a guilty pleasure. But if you know me and my musical tastes, like you wouldn't expect me to like that show. Mm Um, and I think it's really a testament to how good it is. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a person who anyone would come to to judge hip-hop mm-hmm. of any sort, and I have no business doing that. But the point is that um, however it stands on its own as hip-hop, as a musical, as a storytelling vehicle, as an emotional roller coaster, it is just really 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 good I haven't seen it I've only listened to it I think it's a testament to the show also that you love it without even having seen it yeah I mean and that's honestly how I grew up um there were a lot of shows that I grew up with with just the recording Mm -hmm. um actually Fiddler on the Roof I got I got that as a CD and I think I saw the movie once when I was little, but mostly I know it from yeah. the CD with Zero Mostel. Uh, and West Side Story also, I, I know that from the CD. So, like, listening to shows is, is a big part of how I mm-hmm. uh, got into them. So, uh, 
that's not a problem for me for Hamilton. It is wonderful that it is a, a sung through musicals so that it really is that accessible. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, let's move on to our topic, which uh, is Judaism and musicals. There's a old fun Jewish saying, two Jews, three opinions. And <laughs> defining what it is to be Jewish is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... I mean, we know that there are a lot of uh, musical creative creators who are Jewish, um, and there are a variety of characters, but what does it actually mean to be authentically Jewish? Right. Um, I don't necessarily, I couldn't necessarily think of that many portrayals of Jews that weren't authentic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're different, but I felt like the different ways that people came at it all felt very real to me. Yeah. Well, I think musical theater is unique in that writers are kind of allowed to put their authentic Jewish selves into what they're writing and directing everything, whereas like other mediums like, uh, you know, film, TV, like you just don't see that as much. Yeah. I mean, maybe just because it's so intimate, right? You know, you're in the room with the actors, you're in the room with the people, so whatever authentic thing you're putting out there, uh, it's not for you to, like, judge, well, this won't go over well with the so-and-so crowd, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, then, but then you have a Fiddler on the Roof, which is very authentically Jewish, a Jewish story. It plays, people in Japan love it. Like, it plays all around the world. Um in Poland and everywhere and like um but it still maintains the its authentic Jewishness. So I think one thing about the Jewish experience or the Jewish American experience is that part of what we think of as the Jewish American experience is just the immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. Because you know, we have immigrants over time from all parts of the world and I think there are certain things that we think of as being Jewish, which people all over the world can can relate to, mm-hmm. um, and maybe we don't own quite as much of it <laughs> as we think we do. Yeah, well, I think it was like in Japan um, that they really related to the idea of like tradition and like respecting your elders, but how do you break from that? I mean, I think what's just cool about that whole thing is that like there's so much about cultures even though we know there's so many differences and that's great too, but there's so much about different cultures that's shared yeah. and that's really cool to see um, like art highlighting that. Yeah, and isn't there some line, like you get to the universal by being just excessively specific? Mm-hmm. To me, Fiddler is like the musical that, like, I don't know, kind of like the center of it. Like there were Jewish musicals before that, but they were more niche. Yeah. and. There were Jewish musicals after that that were maybe more popular, and Fiddler made that okay. Yeah. Because Fiddler was just so um, popular and kind of crossed religious, um, racial lines, and you know. Yeah. And all that. So I did. Um, I did get to see the revival um, when it was downtown. Oh, the, the Yiddish. The Yiddish revival. Revival in New York. Yeah. So I I sing with the Jew, uh, Yiddish choir, the Jewish People's Philharmonic Chorus. It used to have 
a better, more communist name, and then they changed it in the 50s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, so I feel a little connected to, to the Yiddish world. And we, um, we sang some of the songs from Fiddler uh, a couple years ago in mm-hmm. Yiddish. One thing I noticed with that is when you translate it into Yiddish, you know, the first song is about traditions and it kind of, it's, it's your like ultimate opening song of like, this is what our show is. Yeah. This is what we're going to be doing. And this is our setting. Um, some of the, the lines from, from tradition almost don't make sense when you put them in Yiddish. Cause like, why would you need to explain mm-hmm. what tzitzit are to a Yiddish <laughs> crowd? <laughs> like he, uh, so in the, in the show, he says, we wear these little prayer shawls with the fringes. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, in Yiddish, it's like, okay, we wear tzitzis and tzitzis are tzitzis. Um, Another interesting thing is that in the original translation that was done into Yiddish, which was done for a production in Israel, mm-hmm. um, the translation of tradition was made into Ditoire, meaning mm-hmm. the Torah or the, the Jewish Bible. I thought that that was really powerful because um, that is what, you know, doing things according to the Torah is kind of how these people lived. That's kind of the source of all these traditions, even when it's not the source of traditions. Like, knedeloff or matzo balls are like a German snack food. <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, even when those traditions aren't actually mm-hmm. from the Torah, the belief that they're from the Torah is is what keeps people engaged with yeah. those traditions. And just like the idea of following tradition yeah. is like kind of tied with the Torah. Yeah. And um, but Harnick didn't like that. He felt that he wanted it to mean tradition, not something else. So that yeah. so for the production they changed it from Ditoira to Traditia. I can also see where he was coming from just with um, like the idea of tradition like for more for people who aren't Jewish like the tying it to the Torah is yeah. is not meaningful to them yeah and and they still brought that into the production by uh, if you've seen it the set is just these pieces of paper hanging down and some of them are used for um, super titles mm-hmm one of those pieces of paper hanging from the ceiling says Torah in mm-hmm. um, in Yiddish slash Hebrew letters. Yeah. And um, halfway through this the show, it gets ripped in half. Mm, right. Um, and so uh, even if they didn't use that lyric, they certainly used that concept. Yeah. The thing about Fiddler on the Roof is when we talk about um, Jews in America today, there's religion and there's culture right. and there's two different things and you can have very culturally religious or culturally Jewish people religiously Jewish people and it can be different yeah um and in Anatovka there's not two different things right. there's you're Jewish and it involves um religion and it involves uh culture and it's all one thing yeah that's an, that's a good point what I loved about the Yiddish uh, production, because we're talking about authenticity, it just made it so much more 
authentic to me, not because of the language, but because like that they would be speaking Yiddish, but because it just made it so much more Jewish than <laughs> so Jewish. And you know, <laughs> people. A lot of the original cast wasn't Jewish. I mean, obviously Zira Mustel, but like a lot of the you know some of the women weren't Jewish, and you know, and in other productions, of course, that's true as well. And that's you know, that's fine. But even in this production, if you weren't Jewish, just by virtue of speaking Yiddish, yeah. like you were, you came across as authentically Jewish. Most of the cast doesn't speak Yiddish, right? Um, but they learn it, and and the more they do it, the more they do it. Yeah. Um, and having been singing in Yiddish for I think nine years now mm-hmm. in my chorus, um, I still don't speak Yiddish. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it does become a little bit part of you. Let's talk about other shows that uh, portray Judaism in a different way, either religiously or um, kind of more culturally or secular Judaism. Yeah. Um, Well, I I think the the other big one for me is falsettos, which, again, I I, I knew from the recording. So I listened to (laughs) the original recordings a lot of uh, March of the Falsettos and uh, Falsetto Land, and then uh, it wasn't until I saw the recent production of Falsettos yeah. in the movie theater. The Broadway, the recent Broadway revi- revival from a few years ago was then shown in movie, movie theaters, theaters, and yeah. then it's available other ways. It is a show about Jews in the 80s. And uh, the, the first chunk I ever heard of it um, was uh, Four Jews in a Room Bitching. Which I don't love, <laughs> um, but then actually seeing the show, how it's like, oh yeah, there's actually five. They're just completely ignoring <laughs> the mother. Yeah, <laughs> actually, and the fact that it's like a, um, it's a seder table, and I didn't realize that um, there mm-hmm. are things that you miss when you right, only right. listen to something ever. <laughs> um, but. Talk about authentic Judaism. I to be, uh, you know, there's some religion in there, but they're not very religious. Right. Um, but you know, uh, religion is something that you know famously people come to in times of struggle, and mm-hmm. and certainly there's some of that. I mean, also talk about casting this recent mm-hmm. production. You know, it's just a little bit funny to have. Marvin played by someone named Christian. Yeah. I mean, another show that has some cultural Judaism in it, the last five years, and they did, um, which is two characters show about a Jewish guy and a non-Jewish girl. Yeah. Um, And they were doing a concert version, and the non-Jewish girl was played by Shoshana Bean. And Obviously. I, and I just was like, I, you know, I know it's a concert version, but it's a little weird for me <laughs> um, to see uh, Kathy played by a woman named Shoshana. Uh, but, you know, it's a concert version, and, you know, people want to you know, sing that score and whatnot. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's fine. It's not a big deal, but it... Um, yeah, well, casting and Judaism is like a huge can of worms. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to have non-Jews playing Jewish parts. Um, 
I think it, uh, it's not like a requirement, certainly. No, I mean, my thing is that um, there's certain uh, ways that it can be more authentic than other ways that it, you don't, so you don't get someone who's playing Jewish. So, or if there's like a, a character of like, I mean, funny girl, Fanny Bryce. Yeah. For yeah. me, I, it has to be someone who has that Jewish identity. Especially because there's nothing, like, the thing about that character is that her Judaism is something she can't escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember the show quite well enough, and I've never seen it. I've only seen the movie. Yeah. But, um, you know, she's definitely a cultural Jew more than a religious Jew. Right. And she kind of, you know, wants to be accepted by the general public. And, and uh, if you have it played by someone who is accepted by the general public with no problem, yeah, then it kind of removes part of what makes that, yeah. you know. I mean, she she's, like, scared of Goyish culture a bit, you know. She's... Uh, I do the one line I do remember is when um, the guy is trying to like feed her pate and she's like terrified of it and she's like oh it's chopped liver like okay I can get through this <laughs> yeah um, so I mean Zero Mostel the fact that Zero Mostel played Tevye he was he was not religious himself but he grew up religious yeah and and he had a big effect on that show and he 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 of the people who were there for it including uh sheldon harnick and and jerome robbins he was the one who who knew yeah what shuttle life was like better than anyone and he brought a lot to that right um and the the bottle dance it came from they the creative team went to jewish weddings uh, orthodox jewish weddings yeah and uh, like observed like the dancing that took place like yeah. it's so authentic i mean it, that's authenticity the dancing in that show is as much a part of that show as anything else mm-hmm. um, and and yeah i think it's it's important to have some some input of in- authenticity wherever it comes from so yeah. Um, you know, so does the actor need to be Jewish? Not necessarily, but you need to, just like with any group, you need to have someone who knows what's going on, whether right, it's the right, director right. or choreographer or writer, um, you know, yeah. you need to you need to bring something in that's, right. that's going to mean be meaningful. The other thing I wanted to say about falsettos, getting back to that one, I was thinking about the bar mitzvah, and um, it's obviously such a touching thing that's yeah. done in the show, and and very meaningful. I think it really gets bar mitzvahs. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so. I mean, it's so interesting because like I saw that show for the first time when I was twelve. So like oh. in my bat mitzvah year, bat mitzvahs the girl version. And um, so it, yeah, it was just very. But there was also this because it's um, not like the kind of where I grew up. Everybody had like not a big party but there was a party involved or even if from a luncheon to like a dance party so like as a 12 year old seeing them just say like let's have the bar mitzvah at the hospital let's have it there because our our friend is dying was just so like it was so like against everything i had grown up 
to think about bar mitzvah, you know, bar and bar yeah. mitzvahs. Yeah, I mean, like, and I kind of got to the essence of what they really are about. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's the, about the, a transition. The well, and it's about the the it's about you reading from the Torah, like that's what it is, and reciting those prayers. Like the celebration afterwards is just the celebration afterwards. Like it's not really the essence of it. You call it being called to the Torah, going up. Yeah, Aliyah, and um, I think it it can be meaningful in so many ways. Yeah, you know, a lot of shows have Christmas in it, like you know, randomly Annie or <laughs> randomly uh, or like She Loves Me or you know these shows that um, and even like the Christmas musicals you get like a Christmas story. You rarely see in musicals people going to church or like praying yeah. or being very religious in Christianity, which I find so strange. There's some musicals that have, will have gospel uh, numbers set in a church. That's mm -hmm. one thing. Not to mention other religions that don't even <laughs> yeah, make whereas, it into musicals. <laughs> whereas in in the Jewish musicals, even that we've just mentioned so far, there is a lot of like reference to God and, and yeah. you know, the Sabbath prayer and, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, the miracle of Judaism yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like you're seeing people praying. Yeah. Whereas like in, um, you know, a lot of other musicals that where they are Christian, um, you know, with the exception of those um, more gospel yeah. numbers that uh, you, you just don't see that. Yeah. Um, another show where you really see the uh, intersection of Jewish and not Jewish is Carolina Change, which I saw in the original run and watching it again, seeing, I think the strongest Jewish character is, is the mother, or sorry, the, the stepmother. stepmother, Rose Gopnik, Rose Gopnik. Yeah. And she's such a problematic person. Yeah. But then you meet her father who's like, Bernie bro on steroids, and you're like... <laughs> extremely, <laughs> extremely... What is, is, is he communist? He's a communist, yeah. yeah he's a communist, and, and the he gets... He gets into the this argument with a 14-year-old black girl where he's being like, Martin Luther King doesn't know what he's talking about. Nonviolence is for chumps. We should be, <laughs> like, killing all the white people. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you can't tell me about Martin Luther King. And yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, that's that's like one of the best scenes in the show, I it's think. It's amazing. Because, like, they really, like, are getting into an argument, and then when they're pulled apart, he's like, what are you doing? Like, that was, I, like, I love talking to her. Like, yeah, that's I the mean, best he, conversation I've had he actually He actually wants to engage with the real political problems of yeah, Louisiana. As, as does she. <laughs> Whereas, um, and, and her mother is just, like, Try, Caroline of the show right. is just like trying to get by with her life and the only way she can do that is to ignore those problems right. because if she engages with how unfairly she's being treated then she just can't get through her day. Right. And it's and it's also like an interesting dynamic because like it's Caroline and it's her daughter who's helping as being servers at this yeah. uh, Hanukkah party and they're the help. And yeah. and like and it's like it's not um, 
good, I guess, for, for the help to start arguing with the guests. So, so it like is that, but like they both are, they both are fine with it. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> like there's this old man, this this old Jewish white man from New York City who's like the left wing of New York City, and there's this young radical girl who's, you know, I guess the left wing of of mm-hmm. Louisiana, and yeah. and and. They have like actual disagreements <laughs> about how um, the civil rights process should go. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's this family that's struggling with, you know, how to be Jewish in Louisiana, mm-hmm. how to how to exist in Louisiana, and and um, and with the death of uh, the mother, and with just all the issues that they have. I mean, there's so many layers to that show. Yeah. Well, what I found interesting this time around was that I had forgotten that Rose was friends, good friends, with the mother who passed away. And yeah. then she came down to help and ended up marrying yeah. him. Um, which is, like, not the same, quite the same situation as just, like, a stepmother comes in. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and it may, really makes you wonder, like, what was... What was his mother like? You yeah. Know, like, what was what was the mother like before she died? You know, was yeah. she also struggling with um, the culture down there? Yeah. And with and with having a maid. I mean, um, obviously, the main crux of the story is not about this family. It's really about Caroline and what she's going through. But we're focusing on the. Well, well yeah. I mean, there, <laughs> but I mean, no. I mean, I think the show like it is from her perspective Caroline's perspective which I love but it's also more it's also about just like the those two cultures coming together yeah yeah um which I think is so cool because like they I mean even for you know me you know in the north (laughs) and growing up like we had uh, my dad grew up with a black babysitter slash housekeeper um growing up and then she came to clean our house, you know, when we were kids and... Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had, like, a... he they We all had, like, a relationship with her. Wow. It was... It's very much... I think it's very much a part of some people's Jewish lives. It's, like, they, they often had black maids in that time period. In Carolina Change, you know, the ki- climax of of the whole story is, is you know, this eight-year-old boy is just comes up with the most racist thing that his eight-year-old brain can come up with to say to Caroline, who right. who he loves. I mean, yeah. he's just desperate for a mother, and he thinks Caroline can be it. And then, you know, she's not because... Right. Well, she, she also has Because <laughs> she has her own kids and, like, <laughs> her own life, and this is um, her job that allows her to have those kids. But um, she does care for him. But he just racks his brain and comes up with the most racist thing that he can possibly say to her. Yeah. Um, and then she obviously, um, regretting it herself a lot later, um, comes up with the most anti-Semitic thing that she can say to him. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very intense. Um, and in the end, it doesn't really get resolved except in a kind of a, a, Epilogue where they're like, yeah, we talk eventually again, but you don't see that resolution. And in fact, um, 
it doesn't get resolved and the the kind of the end of the show is that it's not on her to to take the story forward it it becomes her daughter and her kids right. who are going to who are going to um, move forward with um, the fight that they're having and the and yeah. the and the progress which they hope they'll have so um, you know is, is there a way to get through the the hate is there a way to make cultural progress beyond just you know waiting for the next generation right it's not clear yeah. <laughs> or at least the show doesn't have an answer to that let's get into the the uh the movies and movie, tv, TV show musicals yeah um i actually um i work with a lot of immigrants in my job especially new immigrants and I was just explaining to them the plot of the American tale and how all these mice are coming to America thinking that it's going to be perfect. And there then they no get cats. here and there are no cats. <laughs> yeah. And then they get here and it's like, oh, life is really hard here, too. Guess what? There are cats everywhere. You can't escape cats. <laughs> you can't escape cats. And, and, um, and uh, you know, my... The people who I was talking to, who I think were from Guyana or something like that, were like, "Oh yeah, that sounds pretty familiar." Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so again, in that case, again, it's more the immigrant story with Jews being the immigrant du jour more than being yeah. specifically Jewish. But uh, it was written by Jews and, and made by Jews, and and the the Jewishness does infiltrate in a lot of ways. Right. Should we then go in our chronologically grow in our chronological growing up to Prince of Egypt? Again, it was like a big deal to have something about our story, you know. Yeah. Well, and Hebrew being and Hebrew sung being in, sung, in, yeah. Like the songs um, that made it feel more authentic. Definitely yeah. felt authentic. Like there's definitely a way they could have done that non-authentically yeah and you know it's a, mocha, which is if you're if you've ever been to synagogue you've heard when you believe it's uh the duet between miriam, miriam and, and sipora support yeah yeah and um yeah in the middle section of that song is is the prayer mocha. yeah and that's the thing about just representation of like you know there is something meaningful just to have some part of your culture on screen and now we have crazy ex-girlfriend although i guess we no longer have crazy ex-girlfriend because uh the final season just ended but um but we have uh the you know reruns of (laughs) crazy ex-girlfriend and i mean that's so specific and i mean i don't really recognize much of my jewish story and her jewish story yeah it's a specific like uh you know westchester is Jewish, yeah, yeah, uh, but like, like with overbearing the, mom. Well, and... that's the thing. Like the mom is always has to be overbearing, and in her case, to the extent of being abusive. Right. And you know, uh, I mean, this is the second problematic mom we've talked about in <laughs> in just our discussion of Jewish musicals. Yeah. Like, well, that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about specifically Jewish women characters and yeah. how they're portrayed yeah. um, in musicals, which is, I think, a little more problematic. But yeah. yeah. Trina's um, cool. I may have talked about, I'm not sure if I talked about this on another episode or not, but the women in Fiddler, I also, as great as they are, I find it not problematic, but just 
frustrating that they actually don't really have any s songs except for Matchmaker and Far From the Home I Love. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very they don't strange have, to me. Like, they don't... None of them have their own I Just mean, Far From, far from the Home I Love is the only time that a woman has her own song, as far as I can think of. Because Pretty Do You Love Me as a duet, duet. Um, Matchmaker, they all are singing together, so... Right. And yeah, it's it's very, very centered on Tevia. It's, yeah, which, um, you know, from the perspective of the stories that it's based on, mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. But then, I mean, the other show... Rothschild and Sons. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I saw a production of that a couple of years ago. I don't remember it that well. It's great. And if I remembered it better, it would be very much part of this conversation. <laughs> but I mean, it is about this guy with however many sons, like three or four sons. Yeah. And I think there's one woman in the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as I'm remembering. I mean, it's just very, very male. Everything on the yeah. stage is very, very male. I mean... Do we do we do you even have like a favorite Jewish woman character in musicals like maybe Trina but yeah uh, and I think if I went back and watched it again um, Fanny Bryce is I yeah mean, is 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 wonderful um, yeah <laughs> ragtime he doesn't he literally doesn't let his da daughter talk <laughs> true his wife is dead his daughter doesn't speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, oh. The band's visit. Mm -hmm. uh, now this is a totally different type of Jewish. Yeah. Woman. Well, that and that show is also interesting because that's the Israeli, which is Jewish just, experience, which, which is, is so different, different <laughs> from the American Jewish. Experience. Yeah. Um, where the whole thing in that show is like you know the Israel is this very like left wing. Uh, mm -hmm. place and these very kind of straight laced uh, Egyptian guys are coming there and being a little bit thrown by mm -hmm. Israeli ways and this woman who's um, a little freer. Let's move on to our why is this so good section and we're going to be talking about Alone and Yet Alive from the Mikado. So why did you pick this song for this section? So I talked about my first experience with Mikado, and um, I think I'll get a little bit personal here, but I think um, for me, even, even when I was such a little girl, even when I was like five years old, uh, I was always the fattest kid I knew, and I was always, uh, I never thought of myself as pretty. And the Mikado is the story about um, a prince who runs away from home because he's been promised to this ugly old woman. And then he falls in love with this girl who was promised to an ugly old man. <laughs> and they uh, fall in love and they get married in secret. And then the ugly old woman finds out and demands his head. And so they fake their own deaths. And it, it gets weird but <laughs> i mean it's it's a very very ridiculous it's a ridiculous story but um you know the the thing with the gilbert and sullivan is they had this stock of of actors and they they had this older woman playing these alto parts 
and they clearly loved her. Yeah. Uh, and they gave her great stuff to do. Um, you know, um, Buttercup and, and uh, Ruth in, in Pirates of Penzance. Mm-hmm. Um, and what ends up happening toward uh, the middle of the second act is there's just been all this ridiculousness about this young couple who are young and cute and, and running around and doing silly things and, and faking their own deaths. And all of a sudden, it just pulls back, and there's this song where this woman, Katisha, talks about losing the love of her life, who's this young young man who she know didn't, knows didn't love her, mm-hmm. and who she knew that she was basically forcing to marry her, but she really wanted that chance. Um, and it actually takes her seriously on that, and mm-hmm. she has this ability to take a minute and and say that her life isn't worth living anymore and why is she still alive if she's never going to have love. And it's beautiful. Alone and yet alive Oh, sepulchre My soul is still my body's prisoner Remote the peace that death alone can give My doom to wait My punishment to live Hearts do not break, they sting and ache for all of sake, but do not die. Though with each breath they long for death, as witnesseth the living eye, the living eye. more famous song is the song that comes right after it where the the guy that the the young girl is supposed to marry Coco comes and um, to save his own life flirts with her and tries to get her to marry him mm-hmm. uh, and that's Tit Willow which people are more familiar with but in this song which is just a beautiful song um, mm-hmm. uh, she talks about um, what pain it is to live when uh, you don't feel like you're going to ever find love. Yeah. Or that she felt like she did find love, but it, um, having this young man around, even though he didn't love her, just having him there was better than the idea that, that this young man is dead and that she'll never get to be with him. Mm. Yeah. For me, not knowing the context of, this, uh, of the song in the show... 
I just took it to be as alone, just alone in a lot of ways, like not just not having um, romantic love, but maybe like depression or like um, just, yeah, alone in a more broad sense. Yeah, it's it's a really powerful statement. Like, um, you know, she's it doesn't seem like she's suicidal she doesn't seem to be talking about killing herself right um she's just saying no if she were gonna she would just kill herself. if she wanted <laughs> if she just wanted to kill herself she would just kill herself no this is this is like how do i like i have to keep going even i have to I, yeah it's basically saying i'm forced to be alive yeah even though there's nothing to live for right and and just taking this buffoon of a character and actually giving her a soul and giving her mm-hmm. the chance to tell her story from her perspective, I just feel is really radical. Um, what the line I love is the living eye. Yeah, oh, which I did oh, not. Eye. I did not understand when I was a kid again because <laughs> I thought it was like an eyeball, but oh. it's no, it's the. Li- it's oh living eye, come tell me why. When hope is gone, does thou stay on? Um, yeah. The oh living eye, like the 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 living part of me is some other thing that I can talk about. Mm-hmm. It's it's talking about yourself in third person. Yeah, almost. Or and I kind of also see it as like the living eye, the living self, the part yeah. of me that is still me that's like in there, even though I feel like I have no soul. Yeah. Like I or I, you know, my soul is still in my is still my body's prisoner. So I feel like I like want to die, but a part of me is still living inside. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it's really beautiful in 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 a way that has no right to be in the middle of this incredibly silly show, which yes is very problematic and racist. Um, there's this um, moment of of despair having just talked about all these jewish women who never get any sort of mm-hmm. i want songs yeah <laughs> i mean uh or if they do they're just incredibly problematic that the, this woman um written you know a hundred however many years ago uh who's very specifically portrayed as ugly and just generally horrible has this chance to um, give voice to her despair, yeah. her love, and, and her personality, and, and the things that she loves in this world. I think it's really beautiful. to our final section something wonderful where we just say what we are excited about coming up or something that is recent that we want to give a shout out to um yeah 
So on our topic, I sing with the Jewish People's Philharmonic Chorus, and we have a show coming up on June sixteenth, which is my birthday. Um, uh, a concert of love songs, and if you're looking for tickets, you can get in touch with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the production of Carolina Change yes, at that, that's Astoria great. Performing Arts Center in Astoria. Um, I think uh, it's when this episode airs, uh, which will be on, yeah, there'll be like another week left for you to see it. Um, I also want to shout out um, the book Wonder of Wonders, which is like a cultural history of Fiddler on the Roof, kind of fits into this uh, topic as well. It's an wonderful book um, by Elisa Solomon, and uh, I really recommend it. It's great at just giving like context to Fiddler on the Roof as a musical. Um, it goes into like you know a lot of the things we kind of touched on. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Please write to us at scenetosong at gmail.com at any time with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Follow Scene to Song on Twitter at Scene Song, as well as on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. And be sure to rate us on iTunes, review, subscribe, and share it with your friends. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.